Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, September 28th, as we get you ready for Virginia Tech's first ACC road trip of the season to take on North Carolina. On today's episode, we'll take a deep dive into this matchup and discuss what the Hokies need to do to get a bounce-back win in Chapel Hill. All that and more coming up on episode 258 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in whether you are listening or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future podcasts. I want to let you know that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, one of the nation's leading community banks. First Bank and Trust is a nationally ranked community focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia and Northeast Tennessee with additional presence in North Carolina. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking, financing solutions for personal, agriculture, business, commercial, and mortgage needs, and more. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Let's introduce the crew for today. On set, we have Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline across the way. To my right, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman, as always. In the fourth chair, it's Carter Hill making his debut on the podcast a sophomore in the sports media and analytics program at Virginia Tech. We'll hear from him more later on in the show. Behind the scenes producing is Nick Brown. Wonderful job as always. And I'm your host for today, Katie Adams. Well, after a trio of home games, the Hokies hit the road for the first time since week one. I look forward to this matchup every year between Virginia Tech and North Carolina. A little bit of deja vu from the 2016, 2016 game as Hurricane Ian looks to be heading its way up the East Coast. I don't know how I feel about that. But, uh, <laughs> how do I feel about that? <laughs> I, I certainly, uh, a lot of rain would help slow down the UNC passing offense, right? But at the same time, it means Virginia Tech would have to run the ball even more. Like right. run, 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 which they haven't been able to do all season. So I'm not sure who would hold the advantage in a game like that. Maybe we'll find out. So pop quiz, what was the name of the hurricane in 2016? Matthew. Matthew. All right. Katie knows. I looked back. I got like, I looked back at my pictures from attending that game and we had all referenced Hurricane Mm -hmm. Matthew in the caption. So I was like, oh, interesting. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have known it if I didn't look at that. Certainly wish we had the same offensive power that we had in 2016 with Gerard Evans and Joey Sly and Sam Rogers. But that would be nice. And, you know, Wyatt Teller up front. That would that's that that would be who I would really want right now. Yeah. Yeah, And they they had some uh, great defensive players back then, too, clearly. so, by the way, speak. This is random. It has nothing to do with the UNC game. I watched the Dolphins and Bills the other day, and you know Tremaine Edmonds starts for the Bills, but Tim Settle also started for the Bills. As far as I know, played the whole game. I think uh, I think he's a backup, and they had an injury or something like that. So, just a ton of talent on the that that 2016 team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly wish we had that quarterback. But uh, let's get to this matchup and talk about another quarterback. When you think of North Carolina, you think of Drake May. He's a playmaker. He leads the nation in touchdown passes. Not quite sure the Tar Heels took a step back at quarterback after losing Sam Howell. Doesn't seem like it. I know it's still very early, very early in his senior, but you're talking about 16 touchdowns and just one interception four games into your career. You can't, can't ask for much more than that. Uh, completing 69% of his passes to – he was over 70% until the Notre Dame game, only went 17 to 32. So, like, he's looked more human against, you know, the first, like, really good defense that he saw. But he still threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. So, which, uh, even if that's his worst game, then, uh, then he's got quite a future ahead of him. So, I, I don't blame any recruit for wanting to go play offense at North Carolina. Like, their offense <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is extremely productive, especially if you're a quarterback or a receiver. Um, I, I think that's a great offense to play in. 
Um, and we'll talk about how I feel about the defense at North Carolina <laughs> later. <laughs> Uh, go get a roll of Charmin that you can hold <laughs> while you're talking about the uh, UNC defense. So you, you guys know that one of my windows into these games is the roster cards that I make up and, and the heights and weights and stats and things, things like that that they have on them. And I found uh, Drake May's numbers compared to Grant Wells' numbers really interesting. May has attempted 129 passes. Wells has attempted 131. So very similar number of passes. May has completed 10 more, 89 to 79 for Wells. So similar, and, and that's where they start to diverge. Um, May has 1,231 yards and Wells has 844. So there's almost a 400-yard difference in the yardage totals. And then, of course, touchdowns 16 for May and 5 for Wells, 5 ints for Wells and 1 for May. So... So when you just look at the completion percentages, you're like, oh, quarterback's kind of comparable, and then you get to the rest of it, and it's, it's a different story. Last year, the Virginia Tech defense seemed to scheme perfectly for Sam Howell. How do they do the same this year and create pressure and contain May? You know, last year they had the entire offseason to prepare for that game. And uh, I, I think he never would admit it publicly, but I think Fuente always wanted to beat UNC more than anybody. Yeah, he did a good job. And he did a real good <laughs> job of it. Um, so, but they, yeah, seriously, they had the whole offseason to prepare for that game, not only from an X's and O's standpoint. You know, they came up with that really unique game plan where Barno was kind of playing middle linebacker and lining up everywhere and, and blitzing. Um, and they came up with the strategy, too. You know, they, they, let the game, they let the play clock run down. They wanted to limit the plays. Um, and, and they had UNC extremely well scouted. Uh, well, they, Howell was a known quality, quantity, right. excuse me, yeah. in the offseason. And, and, and you, you knew their system and you knew his strengths and weaknesses. Uh, they got two extra days to prepare for him. But I kind of think maybe that two extra days was probably more spent trying to figure out how in the heck you can fix the Virginia Tech offense rather than closely studying the, yeah. the UNC defense. Um, I, I, it's going to be harder for them to hold UNC to uh, 10 points this year. I'll put it this way. I just yeah. think, I think when you can spend a whole off season on it and really think about it, I think it's going to be a lot tougher this go around. Yeah, and uh, last last year wasn't Josh Downs the only guy that had a decent game for them offensively? Yeah, he's the he only had a guy big that one. scored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had eight catches for hundred and some yards. Uh, yeah, one hundred twenty-three, something like that. Yeah. yeah, and it's real interesting to you know we'll get into this later. It's real interesting. I tweeted this out yesterday to to look at their wide receiver core and how many of their guys have between one hundred and two hundred receiving yards. It's like six, seven guys. So they really spread the ball around. Two of their best receivers have been hurt too. I mean, yeah. Downs Downs has only played in a couple of games. Yeah, and. Antoine Green, who's a starter, he played in his first game this past week against Notre Dame. Three catches, 150, 150 yards, yards, two touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they'll they put five or six receivers out there. Uh, I mean, Caleb Smith is the only Virginia Tech receiver who would have a chance to get into the UNC rotation. Yeah, yeah. At this point in their career. Correct. You mentioned Antoine Green coming off injury. The first catch that he made as a Tar Heel this season was an 80-yard touchdown. So he's <laughs> yeah. surely going to show up in a big way. Josh Downs, of course, scored two touchdowns against Florida A&M, got hurt, comes back the Notre Dame game, scores two touchdowns as well. So Josh Downs is a, is a guy who's definitely going to be playing on Sundays. Doesn't bode well for the Virginia Tech defense when you've got guys missing missing plays for targeting and uh, Dorian Strong not 100%. That's exactly right. And uh, I think he caught over 100 passes last year for 1,300 yards. I mean, this is more one of the best wide receivers in the country and he he's a primarily a slot receiver i bet he'll line up in the slot 80 to 90 percent of the time uh, maybe even more than that and it's not a great week to 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 lose the guy you bring in a nickel package because you're going to have to play the We're nickel package Stroman. yeah exactly so stroman's going to be missing the first half of this game and normally a nickel package he comes in at safety Jamari connor slides down to the whip nickel spot or whatever uh I wouldn't have liked that matchup anyway this week um, because that was that was the only thing UNC got going last year was downs in the slot, and, and a lot of that was against Jamari Connor, who was lined up over top of him. I mean, I think that's a tough match, matchup for anybody, so I'm not blaming Jamari Connor. But it, it means you just have to change what you were going to do this week. Like, So you do, do you leave Connor at safety and bring in more of a cornerback type? Do you like put Breon Murray there? 
Right. Honestly, I don't like any matchup against Josh Downs. So no, UNC has been using Downs and Daz Newsom before him to 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 yeah. pick on those yeah. matchups. Yeah. And you go back to that uh, 45-43 game. I, I think Daz Newsom was just a complete pain in the neck in that game. A lot of guys were. They scored forty three points. You know, so this is not anything new. I mean, what is the expectation for Dorian Strong? I mean, where does your confidence lie if we have him versus if we don't? I feel a lot better if we do. But let's say you don't have him. And you wanted to move Breon Murray to nickel. Well, now you can't really do that because Breon Murray's got to start at corner. Or you move Breon Murray to nickel, and then you start, you know, one of the freshmen at the outside corner spot. Um, it puts Tech in a pickle for sure. Um, so from that standpoint, I really hope it rains really, really hard. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to find some information here that somebody posted on our message board. Um, Virginia Tech, uh, let's see on a per-game basis, has added 1.6 pass interference penalties per game. Yeah. Um, per game. I think they already have as many pass interference penalties just this, this year. year. They did all of last year. Than they did all of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, I don't know, your first impulse is to pick on the coaching or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the answer is. And, and people go – people really go off about looking back for the ball and that sort of thing. And um, so that's – that's just something that came to mind while you guys were talking is Tech has had a problem um, with when the coverage is tight. Sometimes they get caught, caught in a pass interference situation, especially if the ball is left short. So it's something to watch because it's been a real problem. And you year. can't hand UNC free yards because they're perfectly capable of earning their own yards. Yeah, I mean, if, if West Virginia can, can leverage it, you know, UNC can definitely leverage it. The passing game would certainly be a lot more worrisome if it was going to be sunny and 75, but it's not going to be, so they're going to have to rely on the run game a lot more. Drake May is a guy who's able to make plays with his feet and something that our defense really hasn't faced this year. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I felt one of the reasons I felt okay-ish about the West Virginia game was because they didn't have a mobile quarterback, and that's normally what gives Tech trouble. Turns out they didn't need a mobile quarterback. Um UNC's running game is not as good as West Virginia, their traditional running game, but they bring that added element of he can run the read option, he can scramble. So, like, they're, they're not, they're not at least I hope they're not able to do this. They're probably not going to be able to sit there and pound Virginia Tech, you know, like West Virginia was able to. They're not very physical, um, and their backs aren't as good. In the run game, it's kind of like a too many cooks in the kitchen situation. They have a lot of really great backs, but they've spread the ball a lot. Um, they haven't really identified one guy with the hot hand or the guy necessarily in that room, but got to think a true freshman in Marion Hampton has a good case to become that five touchdowns on the year. I would think Hampton will probably be their leading rusher this week as far as carries go. He's got 48 on the year. Second on the team is May with 39. They've kind of split the carries up amongst their number two back. Uh, I think they should settle on two guys, and that will probably help them. But uh, Hampton, I, I watched their their – Notre Dame game this past week, and to me, it just seemed like pretty clear he's number one and their best best back. Yeah, he's he's a pretty impressive guy for a freshman. I, I don't know if he was in there in spring ball or not, but he's listed at six oh two twenty, and that that's really good size for running back, particularly a freshman. I haven't seen a lot of UNC this year, but when I have seen him, I, that that guy kind of jumps out at you like, man, I'd like to have that guy on my team. Yeah, we're certainly going to be seeing him in years to come. That's unfortunate. He's a true freshman and making plays like that. I don't know, Katie. You never know. (laughs) Well, that's true. With today's day and age and the transfer portal and all that stuff, you never know. But some of the issues that have come from UNC's running back room are due to the loss of British Brooks. He was like the main bell cow of that room, and he was in Charlotte for ACC kickoff representing that team, a former Mm. walk-on. He got hurt. Kind of sucks for him. It was like an open practice for the students that he got a season-ending injury. Oh man! So nothing bad's supposed to happen in practices like that, right? Yeah. Um, so that yeah. must have been a real downer for like the eight students that were there. They probably got <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's certainly. I mean, obviously, that hurts continuity. Of course, you, yeah. you know you you want guys with chemistry who are used to playing with each other and things like that when it comes to that aspect of football. So that has been a tough loss for them. Now, in the trenches, their offensive line is an average group, although their highest-grading offensive players from that Notre Dame game were both offensive linemen, something that Virginia Tech can't (laughs) necessarily say. Still, I think our defensive line has an advantage over that group. Hmm. Yeah, uh, pass blocking, they've been good. Run blocking, they haven't been good. Hmm. Um, They're they're not the most physical team in the world, at least they don't seem that way to me. Now, I've only seen them play one game. 
but their yards per carry average has dropped each successive week. Um, they, they had a 71-yard run in one of their games that boosted their, their totals up higher than it probably should have been. They ran it on FAMU effectively, as you would expect, an FCS team. But it's been steadily dropping ever since. Uh, I don't think Virginia Tech's defense is as good as Notre Dame's, but I think Virginia Tech will put up – will provide them with a physical challenge that they didn't face in their first three games of the season. That, that's interesting. I mean, again, being a roster card guy, looking, looking, at, the, looking at what they listed for their starting lineup at offensive line, see, from going from left tackle to right tackle, senior – Graduate, graduate, senior, graduate. Mm-hmm. So it's an old line. It doesn't mean they're experienced, but they're old. There's a whole lot of them that played a lot of snaps. They're out there in entire career. All of them have been completely mediocre. <laughs> so, which is they've been the okay. same player their whole careers. Man, they they can ring up some points though for for a team with a. Well, the the th- thing is, their passing game so good is like all the offensive line has to do is like not suck, and gotcha. they'll put up points. Their offense is ranked 16th in the country. We know that they can score points. Where does your confidence lie in our defense being able to contain them and maybe correct some things from the West Virginia game? I think uh, Tech has the capability of doing a good job against them, but like it's not just about Tech's defense. Like you can't go out there and go three and out and keep putting the Tech defense back out on the field, right? Like right. the Tech offense didn't score a lot of points against North Carolina last year, but they did a good job picking up first downs, letting the play clock run down burning a lot of clock. Like, that whole strategy of that game was about helping Virginia Tech's defense. The whole game strategy. Like, yeah, you want to score, but you also want to make sure you don't go out there and you're not in a hurry-up offense and, you know, you have to punt after 35 seconds comes off the clock, like like we saw last week against West Virginia, right? Um, So you have – for the Virginia Tech's best chance to win is to do the same thing this week. I, I think agree. the fewer plays that are run in that game, the better for Virginia Tech. So, so I think that you know the my confidence is stopping North Carolina's passing offense in particular comes from Hurricane Ian. That's where I'm <laughs> I'm putting my cards. Well, that'll wrap up the first <laughs> half. But before we move on, let's go ahead and throw it to Carter for the first time. Well, I got to break this out. Stats time with Scott Glassner right. You here. know it. You love <laughs> it. He dropped, he dropped some interesting stuff in the chat. So in the last nine games versus North Carolina, Virginia Tech has only lost the turnover battle once. Do you know which one that was? Hmm. It's probably not what you'd expect. Uh, I'm not going to – like in in the COVID year, UNC won 56-45, but – I, th- I do think we had a couple turnovers in that game, and that's the only reason they didn't score on every single drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think was, we forced that was a couple turnovers. Uh, um, man, uh, so how far back? The last nine games versus North Carolina. So what, 2012, 13? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to pick a random. I'm did, gonna... did we have more than them in 2016? No? Okay. I'm going to go off the wall and guess last year. 2019, the six overtime okay. win versus mm-hmm. North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. That's something right there. That's that was right. That was the game where I was in uh, Columbia. That's you right, weren't Jim. there. Oh I was God. in Columbia oh. for a wedding, watching oh. that thing on TV. Weren't you watch it on like standard def? Uh, oh. it, there was a uh, there was there was some issue with watching it. It was very hard. I was all by myself and in an apartment. Everybody else had gone to do I don't know wedding rehearsal or whatever. <laughs> so that that's all I remember. I, uh, and it probably was standard def. Um, I just remember North Carolina was pounding tech early, and then Trey Turner got open down the mm-hmm. sideline, and that was that was. Uh, the high point for, uh, wow, I'm blanking. Quincy Patterson. Quincy, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's now the backup at Temple. Man, that moment where he busted through the line and peeled off that run, <laughs> that, that, that must have been something. It was okay on TV. I bet it was pretty incredible in Lane Stadium. <laughs> so many fun games against UNC in the past. Last year was, like, the best thing ever. And, of course, that six-overtime game and the hurricane game from 2016. And yeah, then- that hurricane game in 2016. So I was scrolling down my Twitter feed the other day, and there's a tweet that came up by Tar Heel Illustrated. And I remember it at the time. The tweet is, disregarding the hurricane game, it's been <laughs> 708 days since Mitch Trubisky threw an interception. So yeah. I looked at the, the stats for that game. Virginia Tech, obviously, they won 34-3. to And it's what willed them to the Coastal Championship that year, arguably. That day, Mitch Trubisky, 13 for 33 for 58 yards, Woo. two interceptions, 
the third play of the game from scrimmage, he was picked off by Greg Stroman on the far sideline. Yeah. Gerard Evans, his numbers, obviously, with the rain aren't going to pop off the charts either, but 7 for 17, 75 yards for two touchdowns. He also ran for a touchdown as well. So I'll throw another trivia question your way. Who were the two guys that caught touchdowns that day for Virginia Tech? And my hint is they're both perceived very differently in the Virginia Tech fan base in their post-Hokey careers. One of them, I bet, is Eric Kuma. Close, but no. Uh, <laughs> Hazleton. Hazleton, no. Uh, man, I'm, uh, you're close with the Tech ODU connection. Chris Cunningham. Chris Cunningham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's, that's right. That's right. Go, yeah. And Sam Rogers. Sam Rogers. Yep. yep. Sam Rogers. Wow. Chris Cunningham was such an interesting case because <laughs> I, I swear, 75 percent of his catches went for touchdowns. He had such a productive, from that standpoint, freshman year, and he seemed to be a guy that was going to be a multi-year contributor. And then, well, the thing is, he wasn't very talented. Uh, no, the, the old Virginia Tech offensive staff, right, Cunningham finished his career third string at ODU, for goodness sake. Right, yeah. Right, right. But he was a productive player for us. Tech's old staff was brilliant at getting the most out of their least talented players, but they couldn't get the they, – they got less out of their most talented players like Hendon Hooker. Like, like you look at Burmeister. Burmeister went 13 of 24 for 65 yards this past week. Right, thirteen to twenty-four for sixty-five yards. Wow. Yes, for the season he's averaging three point seven yards per attempt and is throwing for two hundred thirty yards, fifty-three percent completion. Per attempt ratio. or completion? No attempt. Three point seven yards per attempt. Yes, that's microscopic. It is. I know, but but that's that's he's not good, right? And we act, Tech actually got something out of him. Josh Jackson, after he left Tech, went to Maryland and completed like forty-five. He had of his, one good game. Remember that first game he had yeah, for Maryland? And, and, and he's like, "Crap, we let Josh Jackson well, go." Well, he, yeah, exactly. But they ended up only completing forty-five percent of his passes there. So that old Tech staff could get he, they could get the most out of guys like that, right? But then. With your Hendon Hookers and, and really good players like that, they couldn't. Cue the Raheem Blackshear rant. Exactly. <laughs> of course, you have to give them the ball to get the most out of your players, right? Oh, man. <laughs> He's on an active roster now, by the way. Uh, which which one? Did he get up to Carolina? Uh, yeah, well, he got. He was on the practice squad right. at Buffalo. When you sign somebody off somebody else's practice squad, I mean, you have to they put them on your active roster. roster. Yep. All right. It, it is it is humorous that I mean that offense was a turnstile. That's the problem, you know. Well, the, the, the the 2020 Tech offense. Oh God, I don't, we're about to go on off a tangent here. All right, so <laughs> all right. Hendon, we got time to fill. All right, Hendon Hooker was a quarterback, possible Heisman Trophy winner. Your two top two running backs on that team were were uh, Khalil Herbert, who just rushed for a buck sixty this past week. Black in the right, NFL. Blackshear, who's on an NFL roster. Your left tackle was a first round pick and the best offensive lineman in football this past week. Christian Darisaw. Uh, Lashita Smith drafted active NFL roster. He was your left guard. Uh, your center was uh, Brock Hoffman, who's on the practice squad for for the Browns. Your your starting right guard just mauled Virginia Tech and Lane Stadium for West Virginia. Uh, your right tackle was T Tenuta, uh, who is on the active roster for the Colts. Um, one of your backup linemen starts for Louisville now, um, Brian, Brian Hudson. Hudson. Uh, James Mitchell was a third-round pick, plays for the Lions, active roster, Jeez. has a couple catches this year. Tavion Robinson had about 170 receiving yards from Kentucky over the weekend. Um, you're talking about, like, the least talented player of that starting group was Trey Turner, who was a good college player. Yeah. Nobody can tell me that, like, Justin Fuente couldn't recruit. I know. Just that get... offense was loaded. 90% of college football would kill for that offense. So it's interesting. We just I... couldn't do as much with it as we should have. A lot a lot of the conversation was how loaded the defense was early in, in Fuente's tenure. And then you just recounted all this stuff. You're starting to realize how loaded the offense was mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just uh, so... Part of my Monday article was kind of analyzing where did Virginia Tech run the football against West Virginia? And they gave 11 carries to the tailback, and every single one was up the middle. Right. Now, so, so then I went to looking at season stats, and, you know, Grant Wells has carried the ball some. Um, tailbacks have carried the ball some. Connor Blumrick has two carries, and that's it. So there's no, there's no jet sweep action going on. They haven't handed it off yet. They're showing a little action, but it's interesting – then I'll get to why I'm yammering on about all this. The, the, the run game looks incredibly vanilla at this point, and I never thought we, we would miss the jet sweeps and the things like that. And I said in my article, I don't want to become jet sweep you, you know, particularly not third and long into the boundary. Well, but we haven't run it in four games. 
So uh, <laughs> you just haven't done much off tackle at, right. at, at, right. at or outside at all through four games. Well, that was a nice little tangent about Virginia Tech offenses of old. Maybe one day we'll get back to that same See, star that, power. That's the part that you cut out and put as a separate clip on YouTube because yep. it's kind of timeless. Well, hopefully this is the week that, you know, this offense can get going at all. It's going to be this week, and we're going to talk about the Carolina yes. defense in the second half. That's going to lead us into our break here on episode 258 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust. Talked a lot about the high-powered Carolina offense in the first half and how they'll stack up against our defense. And on the other side, we'll switch gears and talk about their defense or lack thereof and what to expect on Saturday. Make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome you back into episode 258 of the Tech Sideline podcast. As a reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, continue to drop any questions you have for Will and Chris in the chat, and we'll get to those with Carter at the end of the show. Well, as talented as the Carolina offense is, it's such a shame that the defense doesn't replicate the same talent on the field. UNC's defense is allowing an average of 39.5 points per game for 253rd in the country. Whoa. 253rd. Sorry, go ahead. yeah, 253rd in the country. That's their ranking for points per game that that's they've given up. But that's got to include, like, FCS teams, right? Because right? there's only – Not great. Yeah, they're not good. Um, <laughs> so I watched their game against Notre Dame. And I've watched Notre Dame play three times now. Notre Dame's offense is completely mediocre, hmm. especially with a backup quarterback in there. Completely mediocre. And they spent the first quarter – doing nothing against Carolina. Only had 40 yards of offense in the first quarter. Then they put up 500 over the next three quarters. And then they fumbled on the one-yard line at 1.2 as they were about to score a touchdown. Gosh, it could have um, been worse. They got, they, got, they got ripped. And at one point, I'm telling you, like the sideline reporter, the, the Carolina players were so frustrated. At one point, Tony Grimes punched somebody in the head. Two plays later, they got another personal foul. Um, and at one point, the sideline reporter said, they were pointing fingers, throwing clipboards, everything on the sideline, you know, in, in the defensive huddle. And then the coaches had to come over and tell them to stop being selfish. And uh, but, so they were already poorly coached. They already had, you know, a soft culture on defense. And now you throw in selfishness. This is not a good group. This is a group that with a push can go right over the ledge. Yeah. Like, like if, I think if Virginia Tech gets up in this game, the Carolina defense could fall apart because they're not a mentally strong group right now. Uh, never have been under Mac, to be honest with you, but they're especially not right now. Or Larry Fedora right, before him. Right. Uh, but is Virginia Tech good enough to provide that gentle push over the ledge? I'm not sure that they are. Uh, yeah, along with the weather, that is the question of the game. You know, can can Virginia Tech turn it up a notch on offense and and challenge a, a North Carolina defense that it isn't particularly stout? Um, and I totally lost my train of thought. Um, oh, was that game? That game was in Chapel Hill, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and Mac Brown blamed recruiting after the game is the reason they lost. He said, if we sign top 10 classes like Notre Dame, I mean, and of course the Carolina media bought it hook, line, and sinker. Well, their last three classes have been, I looked this up like last night, uh, going back to 2020. So 2020, 2021, 2022, they were 14, 14, and 11 in the country. Right, right. So like two extra slots in recruiting is going to make the difference is what he's saying. That's that's just patently ridiculous. So like what's his excuse for losing to Virginia Tech last year after out-recruiting Tech, right? Um, Yes. They they have huge cultural issues in that program, at least when it comes to playing physical football. I mean, they're great when it comes to skill position, talent, and everything like that, but – they're they're soft. I just I just think Virginia Tech is not at the place right now. I think if Virginia Tech was average offensively, they'd win this game by two touchdowns. Yeah. But they're not. Chris, you talked so much in the past about player development being an issue for Virginia Tech, and I think that's kind of spot on for Carolina. They have so much defensive power, yet it's not necessarily translating to the field. It's not, and you know you you can look at some of the guys in their secondary specifically. I mean, Dre Bly was hired to uh, to coach corners and. You look at both of his corners, like Storm Duck was like a freshman All-American type, and he's gotten worse as his career has gone on. 
and, and Tony Grimes, who was a five-star recruit from Virginia Beach, his he graded out well as a freshman, and he slowly dropped. And I think he's like a grade is in the fifties this year. It's just bad. Yeah. And uh, Cameron Kelly, also from the seven five seven, goes down there, and has not played well his whole career. Doesn't tackle well. Um, so yeah, it seems like Carolina hired a, re- a recruiter who can't coach back there. But but it's more than like just technique and things like that. I just don't think culturally and mentally they're they're right as a program, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I just think when you get a group of players together like that, it takes a special touch. And, you know, people, some people would be like, oh, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, they have the easiest jobs in the country. And to a certain extent, you're right. But you also have to figure out how to get a bunch of highly touted players to forget that they were ever highly touted recruits and they have to work for it now. Yeah. I don't just don't think that Mac Brown is good at that. We saw what happened to Texas as, as he got later into his career there. They fell apart, and that's when Texas stopped living up to their potential, and their players just started underachieving all the time. And at the time, he blamed the Longhorn Network, right? Yeah, right. for um, taking up his time. Yeah, yeah, and, and then he comes to UNC, and again, they don't play as well as their overall talent level would indicate that they should. So at this point, it's obvious the problem is Mac himself. I just don't think he... He has the ability to instill that discipline and that toughness into higher-ranked football players. Uh, I, I would go beyond beyond Mac. Um, you know, culture is a is an interesting thing, and and it can it can permeate a program beyond just the current group of mm-hmm. players and the current coaching staff. And that's what I always say about Miami. You know, yep. and when the whole Nevin Shapiro thing went down, however long ago that was, it occurred to me that was probably I don't know ten years ago. It just occurred to me, like, I don't know that Miami's ever going to be that good again. I think, the, and I actually wrote an article called Rotten of the Core, where <laughs> I talked about their culture and how the culture is just rotten. And I know that bothers the old Miami players, guys like Michael Irvin. They think the young kids show up these days and just because they have the U on the helmet. Exactly. And in North Carolina, just because they got the jump man on the shoes, mm-hmm. you know, they think that makes them a good football, good football players and a good football team. And so there, there's something just off there. And this goes back to, you know, uh, to Larry Fedora and even before that, I thought Fedora had some pretty talented teams. You, you see this happen all the time. Look, at the same, same thing's happening in the 757 for recruiting. Yeah. Three of the last four years, not a single 757 player has been drafted. You would have never said that back in the day. But they, they spend so, so much time hearing about getting hyped up. Yeah. And and I, I think the adults in the room in the 757 are are not doing a good job of, of keeping their players grounded out there. There's still talent, but there's no reason that guy, guys like Cameron Kelly and Tony Grimes should play this poorly. I, I know a high school coach out there. He's won a state title. He's been coaching it back there for 30 or 40 years. He's coached some of Virginia Tech's best players. He's coached against some of the best 757 players. Uh, back when Kelly was being recruited, he texted me and said, Kelly's one of the top three athletes out there that he's ever seen. Yeah. And – now look at him. I mean, he just went to North Carolina to play defense. And, uh, and it's well, just kind Ke- of – Kelly did a touch and go at Auburn, right? Did a touch and go here. No, he never got here. Remember, well, he, he was committed here, He right? was 200% committed to Virginia Tech, and then he was 800% <laughs> committed to Auburn. He was that guy. Yeah. He lasted like two weeks at Auburn. And then, yeah. you know, f- you know, several family members, of course, got sick, so he could transfer to UNC without sitting out. And then the NCAA said, it's okay. That's okay. You know, and then Brock Hoffman. Not play. you, Brock Hoffman, but it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, for, it's, it's okay. Go, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, beyond the player development and the coaches for on the field, I mean, what's the part of this UNC defense that Virginia Tech can kind of exploit the most? What's their weakest part in coverage? I, I think uh, they just get out of position so much, and that's the selfish factor. I think. And that's what happened to Virginia Tech's defense late. They actually, they actually remind me of Virginia Tech's defense late in 2003 when the Hokies were busy melting down and you had defensive backs freelancing rather than playing within the team, within the coverage and, and things like that. Um, their tackling all, is also an issue back there. Um, I think it's, you've got to try to be balanced because the more balanced you are, uh, the more effective you'll be in both parts of the game, obviously. I just, I just saw a lot of guys out of position. And when they when they did get themselves in position, they didn't tackle well. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought they give up chunk plays a lot. It's like a lot of twenty plus yarders, like three straight plays. They'll get a stop, and and you're like, man, that that, that looks like a talented defense. And then boom, just like that, the other team's exploding for forty yards down the field. Yeah, it's so we're sitting here having this conversation, and I'm thinking back to the stats you guys gave about the 2016 game, the hurricane game. 
there was a total of 150 yards passing between the two teams. <laughs> so, yes, it's, it's a legitimate conversation. How can you take advantage of their tendency to get lost in coverage? You can drop the how. If the weather gets really bad, can you take advantage of them getting lost in coverage? Right. And, you know, we, we saw Grant Wells overthrow a couple of wide-open receivers the other night against West Virginia. I can't remember the first one, but the second one was Christian Moss, five yards behind the defense. No, he was getting decked on that play. Uh, yeah, so we'll cut him some slack yeah. there. Um, but he's not that inaccurate as a rule. So he's due, if somebody can get behind the defense, he's due to drop it right in there like he did with Jaden Blue against West Virginia. Well, you know, you, most of UNC's issues are, are like giving stuff up in front of the defenders. Okay. And, and there are chunks of ours are there. Although Notre Dame did beat them, beat them deep once in that game. Um, I so, think the bigger question is how is do you run the football? I mean, this is a team that outside of Florida A&M, who was down 25 players in their FCS, so that doesn't even count. They haven't been able to stop the run at all. So let's jump into that. They give up something like 216 rushing yards a game, which is like number 123 out of 131 FBS and, teams. And I bet it's if a you, bad if you, rushing defense. If you used uh, – cfbstats.com and you took out the one double a game i bet they they, they'd rank even worse they haven't been able if y'all can fill some time i'm i'm currently sitting on cfb we we can do that and again i watched their uh their notre dame game and three times notre dame would run it into the line and get stopped and then the fourth time there's like a 15 or 20 yard gain so it's just they're not consistent up there as the game wore on and Notre Dame's lead got a little bigger, like it, like North Carolina just broke down. Like yeah. like the, the longer that game went, the worse they got, and that's when they started punching people in the helmet on the sideline. It's when they started getting into fights with each other on the sideline and things like that. The score didn't necessarily replicate. Oh yeah, Carolina, how one sided the game really was. Yeah, um, I you know now Mac Mac was mad about one call, a pass interference in the end zone, and I agree with him, and that gave Notre Dame a touchdown. But they also Notre Dame also fumbled on the one yard yard line on their own route on their own right, and then they got like UNC threw a deep bomb on like fourth and twenty late in the game with like a minute left to score a touchdown. So that game could have been worse than it was. All right, so here's your stat against uh, FBS competition. North Carolina gives up 270 rushing yards a game, mm-hmm. and that is number 128 out of 131. Who's worse than that? Uh, South Florida's worse, Hawaii's worse, and Colorado is worse. Oh, yeah, Colorado's pretty much the worst team ever. Yeah, they got Carolina. major issues. Yeah. Um, running and defending. <laughs> yeah, with everything. <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, so so this is going to be the worst rushing defense that Virginia Tech faces all year, without a doubt. I mean, they are bad. The good news is Georgia Tech's close. They're, they're 124th, and they're giving up something like 240 yards But a game. they'll probably get better. They just fired their coach. <laughs> and um, their athletic director. And their athletic director. And so, so they so got an interim coach who has no boss. He could do whatever the heck he yeah, wants. Right. Um, yeah. So the, the key for Virginia Tech is, like, Tech's running game has been so bad. But, like, if you can't get anything going this week against this defense, it's not going to happen this year at all, most likely. Because this defense yeah. is, like, atrociously bad. I'm not throwing the in the towel, man. I'm not throwing in the towel. I might throw it in if they can't run the ball in Carolina. Though. Yeah. Well, they've struggled through the air and coverage you just mentioned. They also haven't been able to stop the run. On the flip side, Virginia Tech hasn't been able to block to get the run game going. So something's got to give here. Yeah, um, it's like the no. What, what's the your line that you like to use? Now, let me let me think about it because I always have to think about it. It's the movable resistible object meeting the movable force. Yep. No, no, no. Resistible no, the, force meeting the movable object. Right, right. That, that's pretty much what this is. I always have to think about it. And I always get it wrong and, the first time. All right. So basically, what I think is like I think the Tech offense will probably play its best game of the year, and I think the Carolina defense will probably play its best game of the year because they're playing each other and they're going to cancel each other so out. So they're going to meet in the middle. But where is the so middle? So it's going to come down to strategy turnovers. And how defense can hold them down. So I'm telling you, the strategy aspect comes big into this game because when you're moving that football, you don't don't be snapping it with 26 seconds left. I mean, you and I'm not saying every single time snap it with two seconds left because then they'll be able to time their time time their rushes and things like that. And there are times where you can mix in tempo. Yeah, right. You can mix it up, but but don't sit there and 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 like go high tempo against this team. I don't think Um, because you just I mean, Tech's offense isn't very good. So even against Carolina's defense, the chances are more likely that you'll give just give them back the ball quickly. Right. Yeah. So you've got to coach this game strategically to help your defense. 
which I don't think is something Virginia Tech was very good at last week against West Virginia. Well, I want to highlight a couple of their players who, you know, have shown potential and are poised for possibly a good game. One of those being Noah Taylor, the UVA <laughs> transfer who currently plays for UNC. I'd be shocked if he wasn't the guy giving the pep talk in the locker room pregame because you know that he hates Virginia Tech. Oh, no question. Uh, and Well, I guess. Like, he should hate Carolina, too, though. And they transferred there. Yeah. And he transferred there. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's just an odd era. Uh, that we're living in college football. So Noah Taylor has the, now will have the glorious distinction of playing in two of the worst defenses ever. <laughs> last year's UNC defense and or last year's UVA defense and this year's UNC defense. And Noah Taylor's a good player. Like he's been their best defensive player this year without a doubt. You'll see he'll line up there as like a quasi defensive end. What's, what's is he the jack position? The jack is that what position. they call it? Yeah, he's number yeah. 7. He's more of a defensive end. Yeah. 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 Like they look, they list him as an edge. On, yeah, on six PFF. six five two forty. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It's it's funny though that like how much culture can play a role because I know I know you know Tony Elliott's getting getting a lot of flack for their passing game not being as good this year and it's not, but their defense is way better. They lost their best player. On no, we're defense. talking about UVA, UVA now for anybody who's not right. keeping up. They lost they lost their best player off defense as a transfer. Yet they're way better than hmm. they were just because I think they're culturally stronger on that side of the ball. I think throwing the ball so much in the past helped them or, or hurt them on defense. It helped them get yeah, soft. Yeah, you said that before. Right, right. Um, but <clears throat> at any rate, back to North Carolina. Taylor's <laughs> a good player. Uh, Virginia Tech's offensive tackles are, are going to have to play a lot better because th- this is going to be a, a different kind of challenge. The Stills guy last week was, was big and strong. He was quick, too, don't get me wrong. But uh, Noah Taylor is an exceptionally quick guy. And yeah. so Virginia Tech's offensive linemen, are, they're going to have to speed up their decision-making uh, against him, and that's something they've struggled with this year. At linebacker, Cedric Gray has been good. Power Eccles um, has been great as well. Both had double-digit tackles against, that, uh, against Notre Dame on Saturday, so – Look to kind of hear that name a lot. Um, we talked about how, you know, they've struggled in coverage and give up give up a lot of chunk yardage in the air. But still, I'm envisioning Caleb Smith breaking off like a 20-yard catch in the end zone. Have to assume that's going to happen. You have to. It's some, I mean, it's if it's anybody it's going to happen to, it's Caleb Smith, who I think has had a, had a good year for Tech. And I think if Tech could run the ball and get one of those safeties up in the box on a consistent basis, then yeah. I think Smith would be having an even bigger year. I think he's a good player. Um, so I think that's a key. To, to this game. Uh, Carolina was generally a 4-2-5 defense. Um, DeAndre Boykins at striker, he's kind of their their whip slash nickel. He's been their best defensive back and probably their second best defender overall um, But besides Noah Taylor. Uh, Gray's a pretty good linebacker. Um, they'll rotate one and guy in off the bench. He has not been good for him. Um, overall for Carolina, like you see some good individual play from everybody at some point. But they're just not consistent, anywhere near consistent enough across the board. Yeah, and I think there's plenty of talent on the defense. They haven't recruited well just on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so yeah, the sum is is uh, the whole is less than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to give them a shout out for some of their names. Again, being the roster card guy, looking at their defense, Giovanni Biggers. I get a chuckle out of that. I like that name. Storm Duck, of course, is a layup. That's a great name. Power Eccles. I don't think I've ever heard of a human being whose first name Power. Mm-hmm. You know, can you imagine that? He, Power and Dakotas Crawford. Like, yeah. great names in college he, He's born that so day, and mom looks at dad and goes, what do you want to name him? Dad goes, Power. Powers. Mm-hmm. Powers Booth. But that's with an S. That's true. Mm-hmm. You mentioned DeAndre Boykins. That was a name when I went to the UNC App State game. I mean, they were calling his name like every five seconds. He yeah. played a really great game. Storm Duck and Tony Grimes, obviously two guys that Virginia Tech fans will be familiar with. Um, but let's go ahead and throw it back to Carter. I know he has some UNC Virginia Tech connections that he wants to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so Stu Holt, Virginia Tech special teams coordinator and running backs coach, actually played under Mac Brown at North Carolina his first go around there from 1992 to 1995. The Tar Heels were 34 and 15 during that stretch. And then Stephen Gosnell, of course, former UNC receiver, played the last two years with the Tar Heels, was asked yesterday, I think Anthony Romano of WDBJ7 asked him, does he sense a lot of spite and a lot of just hardcore physicality with this rivalry? And his answer was interesting. He said that when I was at North Carolina, I didn't get this big sense that Virginia Tech was one of our big rivals. But Mm -hmm. since I've gotten to Tech, I have now figured out that 
Carolina is not somebody we're supposed to like. So I thought that was a very interesting answer. And then the Hokies are 7-2 and two in Chapel Hill since they joined the ACC. Yeah, and I think Tech is 25-12-6 overall against UNC. Um, They're and, so anti-Virginia Tech cultural as a school. So it's they're they're easy to to for tech fans to dislike because of that. Like I like Mac Brown; he's a nice guy. I criticize the way he runs his football program because I don't think he's a very good coach anymore. Um, but but he's a nice guy. But like I don't know; it's it's just uh, it's 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 a school that you can go all the way back to the '80s when like Tech went nine and two that year and missed a bowl game, and. And that's when athletic directors used to actually talk to the media and tell them the truth. And tell them things, And yeah. the UNC, uh, Tech didn't get the Peach Bowl that year because UNC straight up told the media, Virginia Tech's not in our class. Yeah, they were going to the Peach Bowl. Well, then Virginia mm. Tech wasn't, and they wanted to play Florida State instead of Virginia Tech. So that's what the Peach Bowl did. And, of course, Florida State smoked them. And that made the newspaper. And that made the newspaper. Yeah. So, right. Virginia so that, 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 was, was, that was a proven thing. That was my freshman year. Right. Virginia Tech was 9-2. and two. Right. Uh, somewhere in our media library, I have archived a screen cap of the article that ran in the Roanoke Times and, about and, that. And, yeah. and then you go all the way back to, uh, obviously, they voted against Tech joining the a- the ACC every single time now grant now granted they voted against everybody joining the ACC That's every true. single time but uh but they still did it right and and you know the, the professor at UNC who came out and said Virginia Tech is not a that's not the type of program we want in, in the ACC because of some of their player issues they've had in the past and then of course a few years later North Carolina has a whole lot of issues of their own right academically academically so mm-hmm. um they're just not from from a Virginia Tech perspective. Um, they're not likable, so I can see why. If you know, from for, from a Virginia Tech view, they're considered a rival. But at the same time, North Carolina is a hoity-toity that they <clears throat> kind of look down on everybody, right? And they don't view anybody else as a rival. Virginia Tech's just part of the masses that they right. look down on. The, the exception to that, of course, is Duke. So, so to, yes, so, and UVA. Right. So, so to go back to that 1983 bowl snub. You know, Virginia Tech fans remember that. Those yeah. of us who are who are old enough, Katie wasn't born then. <laughs> she I was barely. Um, but I, I I doubt there are many UNC fans alive that ever knew that happened. If they did, they didn't know about it. And third, they don't care. Right, right. But you know? and it's not so some, that, that's a big part of the, our the, right and cultural. It is, and it's not like some internet rumor either. Like it's published fact got with the quotes article. from UNC officials saying. Yeah, we don't. Virginia Tech stinks, and we're not going to play them because we're better than them. That's basically what they said. I do so, need to pull that out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a really good point, Carter. I can speak to that thoroughly from living in Chapel Hill this summer and just like talking to people, trying to strike up conversations about sports. I mean, UNC does not see Virginia Tech as a rival as much right. as Virginia Tech sees them as a no rival. No question. That's my favorite team in the ACC to beat, probably. And yes. UNC, we're an afterthought for UNC. Yeah, yeah. Um, you would think. I don't know. You would think after almost 20 years of tech beating them fairly often that they would start to register and they'd start to care. Um, I know I get that way with with teams that beat Virginia Tech teams. Well, it's like I think I hate Boston College basketball right now. Oh, I can't stand losing to Boston <laughs> I have College nothing in basketball. Against them, but but God, quit beating us, man. <laughs> uh, they definitely see UVA as a bigger rival than yeah. Virginia that's, Tech. Yeah, I and I get it. That's I get it. Technically, that's isn't that called the oldest rivalry in the, in the South? South? Yeah, yeah, and 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 they should they should care more about beating and because UVA. they're similar schools, like their yeah. fan bases are similar. It's just like Virginia Tech and West Virginia. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if y'all wouldn't get along, you're too much alike. Yeah. Back to your point, I'm certainly hoping that Stephen Gosnell scores in Keenan Memorial this week, that and would that be would fun. be great for him because I don't think he did as a Tar Heel ever. No, so. he didn't. Nobody talked about that game in Lane Stadium was the loudest game he's ever been a part of. Last year, the, yes, the COVID um, game. Mm-hmm. 2021, yes. Yeah. 2021, So yeah. the first game back from COVID, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, coming back to a couple more points, and then we'll kind of wrap up. Want to talk about the Virginia Tech offense in this matchup? I mean, there's a chance that Malachi Thomas might play. Yeah, but even if he does, can you expect him to be like That's go the out thing, there like a game buster? The past, even if he plays, he's not going to be in game yeah. shape. So you know, Carolina obviously is rotating so many backs in and out. It would be nice if we had this two-headed monster of Malachi Thomas and Keyshawn King in full game mode that we could kind of see a path to victory running the ball, but. I don't necessarily think that's the case. You know, and right now I'm even beyond the point where I don't care who plays running back. I just want to see us see Tech block someone effectively. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm concerned that I think this is uh, 
abating. It's, it's becoming a smaller thing. But I'm concerned that Tech fans perceive Malachi Thomas as some sort of savior of the running game. Right. He, he's and, not that type. He's a good running back, but he's not like the freaky David Wilson type that is going to break a tackle in the backfield and then run for 20 yards. Yeah. Like He didn't break a ton of tackles last year. What he was good at, he had excellent vision. He knew when to cut back. And he had good acceleration. Hit the hole fast. Right, right. So he's the type of back that, I mean, he doesn't need a huge hole because he's got good vision, but he needs something there. Yeah. And Keyshawn King showed that against uh, Boston College. That was the one where he ripped off the 65-yarder, right? Right. Now that granted, that was a big hole. That wasn't that wasn't a medium size or small. And those are they're one. easier to see on the outside too. Yeah. Than and it and is he, a, he took well, off. Yeah. yeah. Also, that Syracuse game was the one that he scored three yeah. touchdowns in. So I think that might be the game that Virginia Tech fans watch and are like, okay, this guy has so much potential, and it's like we want him to play like he did I, against Syracuse when he comes back. He's but. a good player, but you know, like if he's a hundred percent, I want him to play. Uh, I doubt he's going to be ready and the thing is then the next week is Pitt and Pitt is so big and physical like I and Tech's offensive line they're not going to be able to keep Pitt's defensive line off Tech's running back so like I don't want him to get hurt in that game that we probably have no chance to win yeah right so I I honestly I don't know when he's going to play and I'm not even sure when I'm comfortable uh with him playing and you got to wonder at what point do you just redshirt him you stole my line. You got the button, Nick. Yeah, hit the button. <laughs> hit the Chiron Stith redshirted as a sophomore. That's right. Well, as we near the end, I want to know, you know, if the game does go the hookies way on Saturday, what do you see happening for it to get to that point? I see uh, probably a couple turnovers on UNC's part. Obviously, I see an improved running game for Virginia Tech. Right. I don't see how Virginia Tech can win this game if they can't improve their running game. Right. And uh, maybe some weather. Uh, Probably weather, um, and and you got to wonder at what point is is you know you mentioned turnovers maybe a special teams player Tech hasn't really attempted much to even for example return a punt yeah uh, no um, Carolina's been solid on special teams this year yeah. they've yeah. they've got a punter who's averaging fifty yards a punt and uh, you know he can gout kick his coverage a little bit but uh, you know like I think and like 80% of their kickoffs have gone for touchbacks so you're probably not going to get much there. Yeah. I think the key for this game to Virginia Tech is don't fall behind early. Like if you drop if you fall down 14 nothing and Carolina starts to to believe and 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 all of a sudden it's like uh and the tech players are like here we go again and I I don't I and it puts you in a situation where you've got to throw it all the time and and I just that just doesn't bode well. But if Virginia Tech can the longer it's a game, the more you're in UNC's heads. And like I said, I mean, yeah. I watched them fold against Notre Dame last week. Like, just a little bit of mental and physical pressure, and they toppled over. And, and, and so the, that, that's the, you've got to put them in that position if you're Virginia Tech. Yeah, there's a couple times where they've really gotten rolling on Tech. Uh, one of them was when Giovanni Bernard was at, at UNC. I think that was 2012. Yeah, it was. Down in it's Chapel a long Hill. Time ago, man. Yeah, they, they yeah. got rolling. And, yeah. um, and the same thing happened in the, during the COVID year, the fifty-six to forty-five. Well, we were game. playing Alan Tisdale at Rover. Yeah, yeah, you know, and <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> we we had guys in that game. I think Chapman didn't get to practice all week because of he t- because of COVID. But then he tested uh, negative the day before the game, so he was like, so "Okay, you're playing. You haven't there. practiced in ten days, but go right back in there." Had a walk on at safety, at if safety, I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned their special teams. Probably no slip-ups there, but I do know that their kickoff specialist, I think, entered the portal this week who had been starting the previous game. So the combination really? of that. Yeah. The combination maybe of somebody that, threw a clipboard right. at him on the side. <laughs> maybe, yeah, probably. It was, so. He wanted to be the place kicker, and he wasn't. So so he's already in the portal. Yeah. But so that combined with the weather. So he just quit the team in the middle of the year? So the kickoff yes. the kickoff specialist you're talking about? Yeah, Jonathan Kim. Huh. Wow. I think Max said it was because – he can still technically redshirt because they've only played four games. That's correct. Right. Yeah, so now correct. He'd, he'd have two more years of eligibility elsewhere. Right. So I'm sure there's a bunch of other players who entered the portal maybe after this week that we don't know of, but that was just the one that I'd heard about. So maybe a new kickoff specialist combined with the weather, maybe something happens there who to knows? go our way. I don't know necessarily. Uh, but let's get on to game picks. Y'all have alluded in the past, you know, until we see this Virginia Tech offense. Hey, wait a minute. Let's not leave that yet because i got to okay. get this in there. If we're talking about it. kickers – I tweeted this out. They've got a backup place kicker, Todd Pledger. He is 6'9", 205. Was he also a walk-on on the basketball team? That's insane. I've read the hell out of his bio, and it said nothing about basketball. Not even going back to high – he didn't even play basketball in high school. 
So maybe we'll get to see old big six nine Todd Pledger. He's number you, ninety. I see you actually put him on on the roster here. Normally you would I had to because I talked about him in a tweet, so I had to include him on the <laughs> roster. <laughs> All right, sorry to interrupt, Katie. No, you're fine. But now you talk about walking onto the basketball team. I saw today that like Drake May's younger brother just walked onto the UNC basketball team. There's so a just lot like of Mays. That family yeah. is crazy. Yes, it's so I, I, Drake and Luke are brothers, right? Yeah, I forgot about that. One basketball, one football. The dad played football at Carolina. <clears throat> now younger brother is on the basketball team. Do y'all remember the Plumleys at Duke? Yeah, all three of them. <laughs> Seth Greenberg once uh, once <laughs> joked that there were twenty one feet of Plumley or something like that. That's what he called them. Well, it's like you go over to wrestling for Duke, the Fine Silvers. They wouldn't have a wrestling team if they didn't have Fine Silvers yeah. coming along a mile a minute. Crazy, but all right, let's get into game picks. Y'all have alluded to in the past that you're not going to pick Virginia Tech until, you know, this offense shows that they can at least score 30 points. So that's kind of what happened in the picks today. Everyone is rocking with the Tar Heels. Currently, they're favored by nine and a half, which I still feel like is kind of a lot given the elements. But yeah, any explanation on your pick? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I understand why Virginia Tech is behind offensively. I, I grasp that, but uh to me, it's disappointing that they have not shown signs of improvement. Um, it's not the fact that they're two and two. I'm not surprised they're two and two. It's just the fact that they seem like the exact same unit that they were in week one, and that's disappointing to me. So, like West, it's, and it's not like West Virginia brought like a top ten defense into Lane Stadium. They brought in a defense that got torched by Pitt and, and got Kansas. torched by Kansas. Um, and then they, they you know, they, they, but they look like the '85 Bears against Tech. I don't think the Carolina defense is as good as West Virginia's defense for sure, but I also, and maybe this is part just being too close to something. For all I know, the Carolina fans are like, they're saying, yeah, Virginia Tech stinks on offense, but they hadn't faced us yet. They'll probably put up I'm 500 sure. yards yeah, this sure week, right? Um, but like I said, likely it'll be somewhere in between. Um, but like, I, I at this point, I, I, I have to see it get better before I'll predict it to get better yeah it's it's as, as a sidebar it's always interesting to talk to fans of other team it, teams that i don't know at what point in the wvu game i went down to a concession line and there were wvu fans there and i said man that number 12 is a load uh donaldson yeah mm-hmm. cj donaldson and the west virginia fan just looked at me and said yeah he'll just transfer out next year this at the end of the year because of nil somebody will offer him a bunch of money uh, so, see i don't know about that i've heard west virginia's nil program is a. Uh... I'm sure We're it's all pretty good. They, they know yeah. how to support their team. So, so when I made my pick, I, I yammered on and on about uh, my the thrust of my pick, which was um, 38-20 North Carolina, pretty healthy. Mine was thirty-one twenty. It was very similar. So still not breaking um, the thirty-point threshold, even against this defense. But we will see. <laughs> so I, I yammered on and on about uh, how UNC has piled up talent. If you look at recruiting rankings and and. The whole theme for me was, you know, eventually the talent wins out, you know, and, and Virginia Tech is trying to rebuild their program. So I just think this is one of those years. But I think I'm overthinking it. I think it just comes down to you, know, you always do the thing of what if they played this game 10 times? Um, it's just Virginia Tech's got to outscore North Carolina, and that's just not a likely proposition, right. you know, without getting bogged down in analysis and details and talent and all that stuff. This is just not as nearly high-powered an offense as North Carolina's is. David's pick is pretty lopsided. He has UNC <laughs> 41 to 16. Man, some people got mad at me for picking West Virginia last week now. Yeah. Y'all got to get we, on David. That's a that's a big one, right? 41 right. to 16. Whew. If the Virginia Tech <laughs> offense shows any source of light, people are going to be coming for David on the message board. <laughs> Every pick. time I make a pick like that, I'm wrong. Like, I picked Miami to destroy Tech one year, and, and, and I think that was the game where Tech came out and scored 28 points in the first quarter down in Miami. Well, you picked that because Tech had lost 45 to 10 to Duke the to week Duke, before. To Duke, yes. So I, I picked some Miami romp, and then Tech goes down there and wins. <laughs> Well, the preview article was posted just a little bit ago, so we'll have time for the fan vote to kind of roll in. But right now, 50% of the fans have the Tar Heels winning by 11+. plus. I, I just – how many votes are showing on yours there? Um, 183 total. 180, 182. I've got – it's actually 60% Tar Heels by 11+. plus. Yeah. 59%. Mm. Well, Woo. I mean, it's a really surprise. Hokey fan oh, feeling down. Yeah. yeah, and then another fifteen percent Tar Heels win by one to ten. But look, so on, but look on the bright side, we got Pitt the next week. <laughs> Our producer is giggling. <laughs> that may be a shorter preview. We'll, we'll get into that. Maybe talk about 
you know, with UNC, we can sit here and talk about some of the great memories of playing UNC in previous games. With Pitt, you really can't do that because there hasn't been a lot of great memories playing Pitt. Besides the goal line stand, that was awesome. Yeah, the goal line stand was awesome. The 2016 game was awesome. That's about it. 2000 was fun. It was nerve-wracking. Well, that's when Michael Vick got hurt. Yeah, yeah, but it was a great ending. Yeah, shut out in 2019. That's right. 28 nothing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. But largely, when I think of our matchup with Pitt, it's not necessarily great memories. But we'll get into that next week in the preview. Let's go ahead and take a couple of questions from the chat, Carter. Well, I'll tell you what. 41-16, that would be a rough drive home from Chapel Hill. I'll tell you that. All right. A couple the questions rain. in the chat. Clark Rulin asks, he says, question for Chris. What is the most important matchup to keep an eye on this Saturday from an individual standpoint? I would say with, with downs in the slot, like, what is Virginia Tech going to do with the with that nickel spot for the first half since they can't bring uh, Jalen Stroman on? Um, normally, they've been bringing him on at safety with Shamari Connor sliding up to the nickel roll. Who's going to be in that nickel roll this week? It might be Shamari with a different safety back there, or it might be Shamari at safety with more of a corner type in the yeah. nickel roll. Uh, and Dorian Strong's health could affect that as well. So, so yeah, as soon as Carolina um, has the ball – Look and see where Downs is lining lining up. He's number eleven. Uh, if he's in the slot, which he probably will be, so he's see who's lined up over top of him. That'll be important. I don't think there's any question. That's that's the answer. And then Chris also mentioned earlier in the show. Nicholas asks this: You wanted to see player development to judge if this season is going to be successful. Do you see player development thus far? And if so, who? I have at certain spots. Um, I think. Uh, I think Christian Moss has developed. I think Caleb Smith has developed. Um, I, I think, generally speaking, on the defensive side of the ball, you've seen solid development. I think Dax is a better player than he was this year. I think the redshirt freshman linebackers are coming along. I think the defensive linemen are in a, in a scheme that fits them better. Um, it's so hard to say about offensive line and tight end because so much has changed there. And I wrote an article about this yesterday, about Joe Rudolph came from – Wisconsin, where they were most of the time in an under center offense, either an ace formation or I formation. And even their shotgun formation was at pistol depth. So the mesh point was close. Now, what is it? What is an ace formation? Uh, When the quarterback is under the center and there's one running back behind him. Okay. um, As opposed to like a fullback and a running back, like an I formation. Um, But he's under center. So that's the important part. He's under center. now he's working. Now he's coordinating the running game in a sh- in an offense that's one hundred percent shotgun. It can be a little bit different from a timing standpoint. These tech coaches, some of them have similar backgrounds, but not with Rudolph. He's never coached with the staff at any of them. Um, so I could understand that. Like I don't even think the coaches on offense are on the same page quite yet. So we could under. I could totally understand why the offensive players aren't. Uh, aren't on the same page either if the coaches aren't um it's like i'm not going to judge them yet because of that well i think Keyshawn king looks like a better running back a more complete running back. i would agree with that i I agree with that but i think that has just as much to do with uh what he did put it the work he put into the weight room in the offseason he's just a physically stronger player now than he was before yeah but if we're going to bash the previous staff for not making the players put in the work in the weight room we got to credit this staff for a guy who does put the work yeah he absolutely did sure it it gets down to his individual effort but he's also part we hope of a culture now that'll do a better job in the weight room Mm -hmm. gonna take one more yeah let's do one sure so robbie morris asks and you touched on this a little bit earlier but fuente seemed to really hate unc and really <laughs> emphasize this game each oh. and every year and had a great record against the heels five and one do you see that mentality continuing under pry uh, you know it took me a while to sense that it was there under fuente and then you know he was always so, so stoic on the sideline but you go through all our pitchers like we can search on fuente in our media library and it pulls up all the pictures we've tagged of him and he's always stoic on the sideline, except there's so many pictures of when we're playing UNC and he's yelling and fired up and celebrating <laughs> hardly ever against another team, but it's always UNC. And then I asked actually somebody on the staff one time, I'm like, does, does he hate UNC <laughs> as much as it seems like to me that he does? And he goes, oh, he can't stand him. He wants to beat them. I really hope anybody. Brent probably feels the same way. I really do too. Wasn't yeah. it the UNC game where where Bud and, and Fuente tackled each the, other? Yes. Oh, the first, which one was that? First, it, it was the big hug in 2016, right. and then yeah, uh, Fuente tackled him in 2018. 
right. in 2017 when Greg Stroman's running the punt back. Fuente's running Fuente's down the running sideline next to him. I, th- I think Fuente like ran a 4-7 or so on that play. He and then after that, we got pictures good. of him just yeah. hugging. And- if, if we could channel that Justin Fuente to all the other opponents, then Virginia Tech is $8.75 million richer right now. That is no correct, question. Right? <laughs> Well, thank you, Carter. Those were some great questions from the chat. Before we get out of here, game preview was posted just an hour ago, so make sure you go read that and vote in the poll if you haven't yet. I know an article was posted today from Brandon Patterson mm-hmm. about offensive line blocking. Yeah, yeah. Friday and Q&A. Anything else we should look for? Brandon will have another UNC preview on Friday, and I'll do an inside the numbers tomorrow. I just don't know what it's going to be about yet. Okay, TBD. Well, another great episode of the Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank everybody on set today. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline. He's at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Coleman TSL. Carter Hill did a great job in the fourth chair today for the first time. He's at CB Hill underscore three on Twitter. Also want to point out the Tech Sideline. Twitter account is almost to 20K followers. So Very you, close. Yes, if you don't follow that, make sure 20K. you do that. David Cunningham just surpassed 9,000, so we're getting up there. Um, Nick Brown producing wonderful, as always. The Hokies take the field for Game 5 against UNC at 3.30 p.m. in Keenan Memorial Stadium in Chapel Hill on Saturday. It'll be televised on the ACC Network, and we'll be back Monday morning to break it all down. I'm Katie Adams signing off from all of us here at Tech Sideline. Enjoy the game, stay safe, and enjoy your weekend.